that's the first principle. And I want to go ahead and introduce you um, to the second principle um, of living the five this week. And it goes like this. You can't do life alone. Can you say that this morning? You can't do life alone. We're going to say it again. You can't do life alone. Uh, you can't do life alone. Now, some of you are sitting there and you're like, no, I, can, I know I can do life alone. I've been doing life alone for a long time. And you actually can do life. I'm going to be honest with you this morning. You can do life alone. It is possible to do life alone. It's going to be, uh, it's not going to be very fulfilling to do life alone, but you can do life alone. You can pretend like you're an island and that, that you're all by yourself out there in the great big world, but the truth is you can't do life alone. You know, uh, it's sort of like this, you know, you can brush your teeth with gasoline, right? Nobody's stopping you from brushing your teeth with gasoline. The problem is it's not going to taste good, right? And it may kill you. In fact, it probably will kill you if you brush your teeth with gasoline. Don't do that. I mean, you can do that. If somebody says, you can't brush your teeth with gasoline, you can counter and say, oh, yes, I can. Well, you're not going to like it, and the end result's not going to be good. The same is true when it comes to our faith, y'all. You can do life alone. You can try and do a Christian walk alone, but it's not good. You don't experience the richness of God's blessing for our lives whenever you try and do life alone all on your own. So not only as we try and become faithful followers of Jesus Christ, not only do we commit to growing through prayer, but we commit to doing life together. Doing life together. Because the truth is you can't do life alone. Now I've got a question for you this morning, and we're not going to get down into the gory details um, of your answer to this question, but we're going to ask this question because it's an important question. How many of you have ever made a bad decision? Just raise your hand. How many of you ever made a bad decision? Okay, some of you that are uh, about to graduate high school, you did not raise your hands. You are about to make some colossally bad decisions um, in, the, in the coming years. Uh, and I'm going to tell you, hopefully, we can help you not make some of those bad decisions if you'll apply these principles to your life. If you will commit to growing through prayer and you'll commit to not doing life alone. Because what I've found from my own life and from the lives of people that, that I've intersected with is that whenever we're alone, when we find ourselves alone, we find ourselves isolated, when we find ourselves lonely, that's the time when we make the stupidest mistakes in our life and in our faith. We make stupid mistakes when we're alone. I'll give you an example. Um, the first year that Stephanie and I were married, um, Stephanie's my wife, and she's a preacher at New Hope and Hubert United Methodist Churches, and that's why you don't see her on Sundays, because she's doing her thing um, at a church at 11 o'clock, too. Um, so we're separated there. But... Um, my first year of marriage, our first year of marriage, I was in Atlanta, and she was in Claxton in Belleville, where she was teaching high school at Pinewood Christian Academy. Um, and so I was in Atlanta, and she was down here, and I had this bright idea. It was like December, uh, I, I, Christmas was coming, um, and I had this bright idea. Guitar Center was right down from Emory University, um, and Guitar Center it was like the place that we would go and hang out because we were lonely in Atlanta. I was lonely in Atlanta, so me and a couple of my friends, we would go to Guitar Center and hang out. And so one night, I'm hanging out in Guitar Center, which is like the best, no, it's the worst place to hear Stairway to Heaven ever um, because that's all... Anybody plays in that store. Um, so you're sitting in there. I'm sitting in there by myself, and I'm wandering through, and I pass the guitars, and I'm like, I can't afford a guitar right now. Um, and, and, and so I wasn't really tempted by that. Um, and I passed the keyboards, and I can play Mary Had a Little Lamb on one hand. And so keyboards were out 
Um, but I was sort of leading this contemporary worship service, and we needed drums. And so I walked over to the drum section, and I found this set of congas. And, you know, congas, they aren't expensive. They're those big, tall drums like this, and you play them like this. Um, I walked past these congas, and I'm like, this is perfect. I know what I'll do. I'll buy my Christmas present. This will get Stephanie off the hook. She won't have to worry about it. I'll take care of Christmas for me right here and right now in Atlanta during my first year of marriage. Can you see that I'm alone and I'm not thinking clearly? <laughs> Do you see that? It, that this, is, this is bad news. So I make the purchase, right? And I've got my Explorer. And so they load this giant box of two congas with a stand. And it was all chromed out, so I thought it was nice. Uh, so they loaded it up in the back of, of the Explorer, um, and I'm headed back down uh, 85 uh, over to uh, Emory's campus. And I call my wife, and I'm all excited. I'm like, Stephanie, guess what? And she's like, what? Um, the coolest thing. I just did the coolest thing. She says, well, what did you do? I just bought my own Christmas present. You totally don't even have to worry about it. Do you know what I heard on the other end of the phone line? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. I made a colossal error. My wife had been looking forward to buying me a Christmas present for months. She had already had it picked out. She already knew what she wanted. And because I was alone and by myself, and I didn't consult anyone else before I made this, it's not a major decision, but it's a serious decision. Because I didn't consult anybody else. I ended up making this stupid decision, and I nearly ruined Christmas on our first year of marriage. It's a bad deal. When we're alone, when we're isolated in our lives, uh, bad things begin to happen. Uh, bad things happen when you're alone, when we're isolated, and when we're lonely. We make our worst decisions when we are by ourselves. When you are by yourself, when you are alone, you are vulnerable to temptations that you would never be susceptible to if you were with a group. When you are alone and you are by yourself and you are feeling lonely, you are susceptible to doing all sorts of things that you never thought you would do simply because, one, you're bored. Because when you're alone, you don't have anyone to check your actions, your attitude, or to hold you accountable. It's dangerous, it's dangerous to be alone and to be by yourself. I'll give you an example of how dangerous it is to be alone. Do any of you ever watch Discovery Channel or Animal Planet? You ever watch the lion specials, lions, um, and how lions hunt prey? You ever see this? Lions, they don't just go charging in the middle of a pack of antelopes and take one down. You know what, uh, what lions do in order to hunt antelope? They work to separate one antelope from the rest of the group. And that's the one that gets attacked. You are susceptible to incredible danger in your life and in your faith when you find yourself alone, when you find yourself lonely, when you find yourself isolated. We need to remember that you can't do life alone. You can do life alone, but it's incredibly perilous, and it's very, very hard to stay on a trajectory toward God if we're trying to do life by ourselves. We need each other. We need a community of faith to lift us up and to give us strength. You can't do life alone. You aren't built for it. You aren't wired for it. We aren't built for it. We aren't wired for it. If you read Genesis, I'm not telling you to read Genesis like a science book, but it does have some very good principles 
about how we were created. You and I are created to be in relationship, to be in relationship with God and to be in relationship with others. We're wired for it. And whenever we are not in intentional relationships with God and with others, we are in great, great danger in our lives and in our faith. Now, I want to point you to this in Scripture um, because it's very important that, that we take this principle, this idea that you can't do life alone, and, and we bring it down and we find this principle in Scripture. Uh, and the place that we're going to look this morning is Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. But we're going to deal with the first part of that before we deal with the last two verses. So Hebrews chapter 10. Go ahead and open up um, your Bibles. These verses aren't in your notes. So open up your Bibles and your smartphones. Um, go ahead and fire up the tablet to Bible Gateway. Um, the words are going to be on the screen, but I want you to see these words because they're very important. And, and the book of Hebrews is this really interesting book in the New Testament because the book of Hebrews, um, it, it looks like a letter, but it's not a letter. It's more like a sermon, a sermon written to a group of people um, uh, by someone who's trying to convince them that Jesus is greater than Moses, and Jesus is a new high priest. He's trying to connect Jesus to these great traditions in Jewish uh, religion, in the Jewish religion. And so at the, around chapter 10, there's this interesting, interesting issue that comes up about how great a high priest we have in Christ and how strong Christ is in comparison to Moses. So take a look there at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. It says there, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who is promised is faithful. I want to take you back for just a minute to grammar class. You guys um, remember grammar class? Grammar was really important in like third to fifth grade. Like that was whenever people started really hammering down on grammar and sentence structure. And one of the things we all learned about uh, between third and fifth grade is this thing called pronouns. You remember pronouns? Pronouns like I, you, me, we, he, she, it, us, them, they. These are all pronouns. These are all pronouns. And it's a way for us when we communicate to not say names over and over again. So you don't have to say um, Jared went to buy a shirt. Jared's shirt is the same as Jonathan's shirt. Jared's shirt is very nice. Jared's shirt is purple. You can just say he instead of Jared, right? Right? I like your shirt. It's my shirt too. Thank you. So going back to grammar class, when we look at this text, there's something very peculiar about this text. All of the pronouns that are used inside of these verses are plural. The writer of Hebrews never says I. The writer of Hebrews never says you in these verses. The writer of Hebrews never says me. It's always us, our, we. In fact, in these four verses, there are nine plural pronouns. We have confidence. We have a great high priest. Let us draw near our hearts, our bodies, not once in this text. Is there the word I or is there the word me? It's all about us. It's all about us. 
because you can't do life alone. We can't do life alone. But here's the rub. Here's the problem. The whole world and even the church at times has focused on you as an individual. We talk about your faith as if your faith is separate from the community of faith, as if it's something that only happens on a personal and individual level in some compartment, some faith compartment inside of your heart or inside of your life. So we talk about your walk of faith and your prayer life. We talk about your personal prayer to receive salvation. You see the contrast here? Those words aren't used in this section of Scripture. One of the things that our culture and our society and even the church is guilty of is taking everything and making it all about me. When what God desires is for our spiritual walk to be all about us. All about us living our faith together, working together, growing with each other, and growing from each other. When we take faith from being something that we do together and we make it something that you do or you experience that happens on your own, pretty soon you find yourself alone and isolated and lonely, even in your faith. Even in your faith. And when you find yourself there in your spiritual walk, you are in a great place of danger. That's when big mistakes happen. That's when you fall back into that same old sin that keeps dragging you down, whatever it is. It doesn't matter what it is. If you find yourself in your life or in your faith, alone, lonely, and isolated, you will find yourself in times of great temptation. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, let us hold unswervingly, unswervingly to the hope we professed, for he who is promised is faithful. Some of you um, have children who just turned 16, and some of you um, were teenagers at the age of 16. Uh, some of us remember very vividly being 16. Um, and one of the things you have to learn when you're just starting to drive um, is that no matter what's in front of you, if it's smaller than your car and it's furry, don't swerve. Do you, do you teach your children this? I've taught Addie this already. Um, that when you're driving your car, if you see a squirrel in the middle of the road, there's something very, very important that you must know. Do not swerve. The squirrel may not make up his mind. You may run him over. I'm sorry. But you know what? If you swerve, if you jerk the wheel of the car, what happens? You could go off into the ditch. You could roll it. Worse things could happen. You don't need to swerve when you're headed down the road. You don't need to swerve when you're headed down the road of life or the road of faith either. When we find ourselves lonely, isolated, and alone, we swerve. The writer of Hebrews says, let us hold, let us hold, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who is promised is faithful. You guys remember the, the, the TV show Mythbusters? You remember that? Um, it's one of my favorite shows on TV. It used to be one of my favorite shows on TV. I could watch marathons and Mythbusters over and over again. Well, what we're going to do today is bust some myths about our faith and our faith when it comes to us individuals. The first myth goes like this. Are you ready? It's up there. All right. Salvation fixes everything. Have you heard this myth before? That if you just give your life to God, everything gets fixed. That all the consequences of all of the bad decisions you've ever made sort of magically disappear. Um, and you get to live a totally li new life scot-free. 
Have you heard this myth? Yeah, I'm sure you've heard this myth. Because <laughs> people like me have preached it. That all you have to do in order to live the life you've always wanted is to have faith in Christ. To get out of whatever struggle it is that you're in. All you have to do is give your life to Christ. Do you want to know what the truth is this morning? Save people struggle. There are people around you right now who love God with passion and with fire and whose walk of faith humble me and they're sitting beside you and what you don't know is that they're walking through the hardest moments of their life right now. They're walking through incredible pain, through incredible discomfort, through incredible chaos, through incredible turmoil. And salvation didn't fix that. The truth is, Save people struggle. Save people struggle. And what we need to find is that if we're trying to live our lives alone and do our faith by ourselves, what you will find is that those hard times will wreck you. They will wreck you spiritually. Here's the second myth that we've run across uh, when it comes to Christian faith, uh, that my emotion will sustain my devotion. When I was in college, um, I went to the Wesley Foundation, and we would worship in here, and there would be like 400 people in this room all singing and shouting to God, um, and there were these moments where you could just feel God's presence in the room. Have you ever, ever been there where you just felt God's presence and the, the hair on your arms and the back of your neck stands up, and you're like, something is happening in this place. You ever been there where that happened? Yeah. That's an incredible feeling, right? And when you first come to faith, the thing that you want most, the thing that I wanted most was for that to happen again, right? I want that emotion to happen again. I want it again. I want it again. And so um, I went to a worship service on Monday night, and I went to a worship service on Tuesday night, and I went to Wesley on Wednesdays and another service on Thursdays, all trying to get that feeling, that emotion, that emotion to click for me so that I could feel like I'd really experience God's presence. Here's the truth. Emotion. If, if you're running on emotion and that's what's fueling your faith, eventually emotion is going to leave you dry because you can't get that experience that you're searching for over and over and over again. It's just not going to happen. You know, if you're married, if you're married, you know what I'm talking about, right? If your marriage is based on emotion, if your relationship is based on emotion, you're in real danger. Do you know why? Because there's some days you're going to wake up and next to your husband and your wife, and you're going to say, I don't want to be married today. We're going to be honest this morning. We've already talked about our bad decisions. Right? If you're married, you felt that way at some point. I don't want to be married today. If, you're, if your relationship is based off of emotion, you're in trouble. And you're going to make bad decisions in your relationship when you find yourself Lonely and alone and isolated. You're going to make bad decisions if all you're searching for is that emotional connection. I hope in your marriage that you don't give up just because you don't feel like you're in love. If that's what you're searching for, then you're going to be disappointed because marriage is about a love that goes far beyond just something that's emotional. And our walk with Christ goes far beyond something that's just purely emotional. 
Here's the next one. We touched on this one last week, that more knowledge means less sin. Some of us, we believe that if we could read more books, attend more conferences, do more Bible studies, read more scripture, say more prayers, do more, 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 that if we could just collect enough knowledge about scripture and about who God is, that eventually we just wouldn't sin anymore. You know, that's what we want, isn't it? You know, we want to know as much as we can because, you know, knowledge, <laughs> knowledge is a really good substitute for faithfulness sometimes. Knowledge is a really good substitute for faithfulness. But it's not what you know, and this is the truth. It's not what you know, it's what you apply to your life that really counts. You ever sign up for a workout program, order P90X? You ever order P90X and do like four days of it and then leave it up on your, up on your DVD player and go, well, why is it working? Because you're not applying it. You might watch the videos, but you got to do the exercises if you want something to change in your life. It's not just what you know. It's what you apply to your life. If your relationship with Christ is just based on knowing more and more and more and not applying what you know to your life, you're going to be in trouble when you find yourself alone, lonely, and isolated. You can't do life alone. One last myth. I need to make more promises. We make this myth, uh, we do this myth all of the time. When we make bad decisions, when we sin, when we do things that we know we ought not do, when we break relationship with God and we break relationship with others around us, when we, when we sin, our first instinct, I know my first instinct is to make this promise to God, God, I'll never do that again, I'm so sorry. I'll never do that again. And so we begin to believe that if we just make more promises, more promises, and more promises, and more promises to God, um, that eventually um, I'll stick to my promise and that covenant will, will remain true for me. But the truth is, you and I, we need to admit that we need help and surround ourselves with people who can help us. That's why we have these buttons on this morning. Have you seen people wearing these buttons that say, you can't do life alone? Um, the people wearing these buttons are people who've committed to being in intentional relationship with others. Not just about praying and, and studying books of the Bible or books uh, about the Bible, but who've intentionally invested in others so that when hard times come, so that whenever chaos happens in their life or in their faith, that there are people that can hold them up and hold them accountable, and help them be restored to right relationship. You and I, we need each other. You can't do life alone. And one of the best things you and I can do is admit, is admit that we need help and surround ourselves with people who can help us. The journey of faith is not something that you're supposed to do by yourself. Faith is something that we're to do together. Jump back into Hebrews chapter 10 with me for just a second. We're going to look at two more verses. If you look at verses 24 and 25 of Hebrews chapter 10, this is what the writer says. He says, And let us consider, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day of approaching. Y'all, we need each other. We need to be in intentional relationships with people who can grow us and stretch us and support us and encourage us. 
people that can spur us on. Because our tendency is to stay right where we are. To keep doing the same things we've always been doing. Falling in the same traps that we've always been falling in. The writer of Hebrews says, no, what you need is some people around you. We need to continue to meet together. Not in church. Well, maybe in church some. But in small groups. In Sunday school classes. In life groups. So that we can spur one another on. Toward life and toward good deeds and toward faith. You can't do life alone. Will you say it with me this morning? You can't do life alone. You really can't. It's dangerous out there. When you're alone. When you're isolated or when you're lonely. We need each other. And that's why at the end of this service, there'll be people standing back with these buttons on that want to talk to you about joining a life group how you can be a part of their life group and, and see what life groups are all about and how you can do more than just show up at church but truly can invest yourself in the community of faith and grow by doing life together. Would you pray with me this morning? Holy God, help us to connect our lives, not only to you, God, as our Savior and as our Redeemer, God, but also to each other so that we can experience the fullness of your grace and the fullness of your love expressed through this community of faith. Help us, God, to connect our lives to each other so that we can be spurred on in life, in love, in good deeds and faithfulness so that we can find support in times of trouble, strength in times of need, so that we can find courage when we shrink back so that we can find hope in the darkest of nights. Lord, help us to always remember that we can't do life alone. So we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Would you guys stand as we worship this morning?